What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Brutally Speaking Podcast, the official podcast of MetalNexus.net. MetalNexus.net, where you can get all your content reviews, photos, interviews, and so much more. And with me, as always, is Mr. Daniel Terry. How are you doing this evening? I am alive and kicking. I don't know what I'm kicking, but I'm kicking it. That's a Mr. Big song. Is it? Perfect. After the death of one of their bandmates. Um... Such a such a great band. Uh, Eric Martin's got a fucking amazing voice. Uh, obviously, that's why you know those singles are super big. But Lean Into It uh, is a phenomenal record. Still, I still listen to it. Still sounds great. Paul Gilbert shreds. Billy Sheenan. I mean, come on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a uh, you got to start it off and make it super sad for us. Um, well, let's let's focus on the positive. We got. Someone, you know, we don't do a whole lot of classic rock uh, artists, but we have the pleasure of having Mike Wilton, guitarist, original guitarist for Queensryche on this episode. It's a little shorty, but uh, I think it was, again, a pretty solid, chock-full interview. Agreed. Uh, a lot a lot of info in there. Um, I liked how you guys, again, I, I love talking about music industry stuff. And it's funny, you know, you're you're asking a band like Queensryche, like, you guys gonna do albums or singles? Because all the kids are doing singles. It's so weird though, because I think the hard part for me when talking to to different people, like, I actually was saying this when uh, talking to Ryan from Legia, you know, just kind of talking about the music industry and such uh, after we were done recording. And even he did the thing that a handful of people have done after the interviews are done or whatever, where they're like, what have you done? And it's like, I've done absolutely nothing. I, yeah. I I don't have any real knowledge. I don't have any practical experience doing anything. This is just from listening to a lot of people who have done things and, and listening to what they've done and the experiences they've had and trying to understand the best way I can. Actually, I think a really great example is Jared Montague's book. I think that's why I identified with that book so well, because it puts a lot of the things that I learned from being a retail food manager and applying it to a completely different industry that has a lot of parallels. Yeah. And so as a result, I think I'm able to find the parallels within the music industry that I can see to something that I've done. Um, that being said... It's no secret that I'm not necessarily just into hardcore, metalcore, classic rock, whatever. I also like hip-hop and R&B and so forth. And the thing that has carried – yeah, I mean, I would say – safe to say uh, hip-hop is basically the, the dominant genre of music currently selling-wise. And I think a big trend that you've seen – it's always been this way, but I think we're seeing it more now – is that it's based on mixtapes, singles – you know, you're you're constantly dropping stuff, so like you're never falling out of the eye of the public. Look at Drake. Drake has had more number one singles, and even at times, I think he had holds the record for most number one, or most singles on a radio charting, which I think was like four or five, because yeah. he's just constantly in the studio and constantly putting shit out. He's constantly being featured. Like if I go to Detroit, I can't listen to the fucking top forty station there or the the you know the hip hop station there. And not hear at least three to four Drake songs an hour, and they're not even all his songs. Yeah, and that's uh, yeah. It, I was just gonna bring that up too. Is like uh, non-originals too. Like covers are kind of making, I don't want to say a comeback, but just it's it's a really quick way to take a song everybody knows already and make that either you know I know there's not B sides anymore, but like make it no, like there is, there is with vinyl being it, back. 
well, yeah, like make it a B-side on your single or, or, or whatever it is. And uh, a lot of bands get really popular off of um, doing either a compilation appearance with a cover song or because, um, I mean, what was it? Uh, we Came as Romans. That was kind of their claim to fame for a long time was uh, I Prevail. The, yeah. What was it? I Prevail. You talking about Blank Space, the Taylor Swift cover? Yes. Yep. I Prevail. Okay. My bad. Um but uh, you know a lot of the a lot of these bands you know and granted that was kind of an older strategy that was almost before you know that that was almost before we were in kind of the singles culture but like there's been a lot of bands i've noticed lately that just put out like one song every two months not even Cl- yeah. quicker yeah quicker than that <laughs> i mean the thing that's that's kind of been interesting too in, in watching things is uh you know, speaking to the hip hop culture and even I'm noticing it a little bit now in pop culture too. Like I think Ariana Grande's got a song and it's using the melody from uh My Favorite Things, that Christmas song. It's literally the melody to that song. Oh, but yeah. instead of it being, you know, these uh, like when the dog bites, blah 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 blah. It's from the sound of music. Yeah. Is it okay? I didn't know where it was from. I just know that song. But it's one of those things that, like, they're using a Christmas song, or what's basically been referred to as a Christmas song at this point, in a pop song, in a top 40 pop song. Um, there was a song, I don't remember who it was by, but it uses the melody, the chorus melody and part of the lyrics from Fastballs Out of My Head. And it's like, oh, you're yeah. taking you're taking a secondary single that didn't even do that well, and now you're turning it into a top 40 pop song? Like... I, like there's so much things I'm noticing. Like the other day, I was at, like Bridget was listening to my wife. That is was listening to a DJ Khaled song, and I realized the backing beat was a slightly different take on Jay Z's "One Week Ago" with "Too Short" on it. And that's that album came out in '98 because it was off of Volume Two. So I yeah. mean, it's like we're taking stuff that's like from our childhood, and we're already not even like not even necessarily from our childhood, like almost in our our adolescence, I guess. Yeah. And you're starting to see people flip it and take things and already reimagine. Like it's not even taking twenty, thirty years. It's like okay, ten years. What what was what was the kind of song that people probably aren't even gonna fucking know where it came from? And it's just it's shocking to see it. But I think you know that applies to the why I asked Michael that because you're a band that's what 40 years into your career yeah you've yeah, got they've been be around thinking, for a minute yeah and it's like you at some point i would assume they've got to be thinking beyond the fan base they have and trying to capture a new fan base so why wouldn't they maybe be thinking about all right let's just crank out songs when we write them i don't know i think they're you know like he said they're more old school and i don't necessarily think their target is going to be the general audience i think maybe it once was but I think with a band like Queensryche, you've got kind of this this rich history, and they're still targeting the older folks that are going to go to shows and are going to check out a band um, that plays songs that they are familiar with, maybe some new ones, maybe not. But like the people that are going to see a Queensryche show are probably not the people that are checking out, you know, what's fresh on their streaming app. No, definitely not. Uh, this was done live at a stop in uh, Chesterfield, Detroit, or uh, Chesterfield, Michigan. It's uh, on the outskirts of Detroit. Um, it was at a really interesting venue uh, called the Diesel Lounge, uh, which is also attached to a bowling alley, which take that for whatever it's worth. Um, but on top of that, like it's the floor is slanted. It's almost like a theater, but like the floor is at like a 
a slight in- decline the whole way, which is interesting because they also put on metal shows. So I can't really imagine what being in a mosh pit <laughs> at that venue would be like and falling and getting carpet burn. Right. Yeah. It's... <laughs> <laughs> and then they have these like weird static X type of flame uh, thing looking uh, metal sculptures over their lights um, on the wall. And then as you walk in, there's a big photo that's got the nautical stars going down the sides of it. And it's a big photo of someone from Mushroom Head being held up by the crowd. And I was like, I can't think of a more... Like, if you want to get an idea of this venue, I think that encapsulates everything you need to know. Yeah. Yeah, that's funny. Uh, I I think that it would have been interesting... Uh, it'd be interesting interesting to see Queensryche live in 2019. Um, it was good. They have, uh, they have... Sorry to cut you off. They have LED screens. So, I mean... I remember the manager at one point talking about how like they had like $10,000 worth of like LED screens on the stage. And I was like, holy shit. And it's a visually impressive show. Uh, I mean, they aren't, you know, here's our backdrop and that's all we got. Cause you know, we're an eighties band. So it's like, no, like they've, they've grown with the times and put on something that, you know, is definitely worth your money. Be pretty cool for sure. Uh, I definitely like some of their riffs uh, from the, uh, from the older catalog, I, I need to, to update. Um, and a, as I said on another episode recently, um, <laughs> I've been in, incorrectly pronouncing that band's name forever. Uh, I When I would look at their na- band name, I'd always think, like, how do you pronounce that? Or and I we used to always call them, like, Queen Screech. Or, <laughs> you know. I mean, it's not that crazy, though. For an 80s band, you know, you could see an 80s band called Queen Screech, you know. And I used to call him that, and then somebody finally like took me aside and they're like, "Dude, you sound like an idiot <laughs> <laughs> saying it like that." And that was back when I would say stuff like "Janeer," you know. Oh God. <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, <laughs> That's so yeah. terrible. <laughs> I did used to say "Janeer" to people, uh, like out loud, unironically. Um, it's, it's and pr- it's pronounced "dierte." It's French. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. But uh, you know, I was educated. Yeah, it's Queen's Reich, not Queen's Screech. So you can you can take that with whatever, however you want to take that. And uh, speaking of taking things, let's uh, take a moment and get into my conversation with Mike Wilton of Queen's Reich, and we will talk to you guys afterwards. <laughs> So I have the pleasure this uh, early evening of talking with Mike from Queensryche, who are here in Detroit on the Verdict Tour. The album just came out via Century Media Records. Uh, how are you doing today, Mike? Oh, we're doing really good. Um, we're a few weeks into this uh, Verdict 2019 tour, and uh, it's it's doing really good, and we're really happy. Uh, we're kind of like in the middle of this leg, um, doing this with uh, uh, Fate's Warning and... Uh, it's it's doing really well. We're really happy with it and really happy that we got Fate's Warning with us as a package and the fans love it, you know. Yeah, I was going to say, there's uh, been a couple of fans that were actually here for your meet and greet, uh, for both bands actually, and, excuse me, and they were, <laughs> it's interesting sometimes to see the fanaticism of fans uh, reminiscing about records. Like there was a gentleman that was down there that I think was actually younger than me and I'm in my mid-30s, but like he was talking about how his dad 
got him into both of you guys and he was like this this lineup hasn't really like toured in like so long it's like such a huge deal like i bought tickets and i was gonna figure out how the fuck i was gonna get there after the fact and you know when kind of reading the online comments it seems like that has kind of been the overwhelming response to not only this tour but really the response to the new record as well like is that kind of shocking like you know with both bands being so old that like fans are still clamoring to see you guys play together yeah i mean we have you know pockets of of fans at these shows and it's uh it's it's really interesting for us to see you know looking out on the stage at the the wide variance of age that is out there in the crowd and um you know obviously you have the hardcore fans that have been with us since the ep or the early 80s right and uh, and then there's lots of fans that just know us for our last new rec three records so uh, it's a it's quite a mix and uh you know it's um it's great and that's it's also it's really rewarding just to see like young kids at the shows because you know they're curious you know and yeah. they want to check it out and they they hear that you know we can play our instruments you know <laughs> so um it's uh um it's really gratifying that you know that that uh you know we still get the support that we do you know i was kind of i want i'll touch on the new record quite a bit and a, a few different phases of it but you know, what was kind of interesting to me is, uh, in looking at the set list you guys have been playing for the last little bit, I mean, you're playing a, a decent amount of songs off of the new record for it being so new. And, you know, I kind of wondered, is it kind of tough now, you know, having three records uh, with Todd to try to find that perfect balance of appeasing lifelong fans, but also appeasing fans that are, you know, because obviously a lot of bands want to play the new stuff because it's new, it's fresh, it's not kind of road-worn, for lack of a better term. So I kind of wondered, is it tough when you're putting a set list together now with a band as, as rich of a legacy as you have to kind of be like, all right, well, you know, got to play Silent Lucidity. Okay, there, and it's like, you start putting a set list together, and you're like, well, shit, I guess we only have room for like three or four new songs. What ones yeah, are Yeah, and it's it's always been that, you know, with Queensryche is just because of the discography and, and uh, um, you know, the the lengths of the set list, you know, that that you're uh, contracted for at some of these places, you know, so there's all different lengths of, of time, but yeah, I mean, for us, you know, when we started with Todd, you know, everybody wanted to hear the old songs, you know, because they weren't being played. Right. So, um, or performed. Um, and so we really hit, you know, s songs from the EP and the warning and rage and, and, uh, mind crime and, and, uh, and empire. And, uh, you know, and then it was kind of more of the, we want to hear the hits, right? You know, we want to hear Todd sing the hits, and um, you know, now it's like because you know we're a band that listens to our fans, and um, you know the the you know the the general populace right now wants to hear the new music. You know, we just started this tour before the record was even released, and we were playing new music in the set, and people were digging it. That's always got to feel really You know, good. they didn't, they didn't really, they didn't know the names of the songs or anything, you know, but afterwards they go, wow, we really love this new music. It's really cool. You know, I want to keep hearing this. Like I'm going to buy the record, that kind of thing. And, um, you know, so we're in a situation where, uh, the hardcore fans want to hear the new music and they want to hear it mixed in with the old. And that's for us, you know, that's, that's like a perfect scenario. You know, kind of speaking to mixing of uh, various, you know, albums and so forth, it's something that's kind of always taken me by surprise on a lot of your records is the fact that 
and I don't know if this is something that's pre-thought out or not, but your albums really flow very well. Like, they, they in, in and of themselves, they kind of feel like a nice set list. Like, you know, like, here's your peaks, your valleys, so on and so forth. Like, if you were to just play that record as it is in its entirety, I feel like it would be a very pleasing set. So I kind of wanted to know, especially with this last record, do you take a lot of pride in making sure that the track listing is a very specific way, or does a lot of this just kind of happen by accident? Well, I think, you know, we're kind of old school in that sense. When we go into a recording project, we still view it as an album. Right. You know, and uh, uh, albums to us are meant to be played from beginning to end. And so, yes, I mean, there's a lot of, uh, uh, you know, thought that goes into the songwriting as well as, you know, the flow of the album. You know, you, there's obvious, you know, peaks and valleys. Uh, different keys of songs work better, you know, with each other. And, um, you know, it's just a, um, just a, actually, it's, it's really hard <laughs> you know, to, to figure that out. But, but anyway, you know, it's, it's on the verdict, it was, uh, you know, a collaborative effort. And, um, you know, because all the songs were basically built um, in pre-production, um, you know, we, we, some of them were built from the ground up. Right. And, uh, you know, you have lots of creative spontaneity happening. And it's, it's kind of like how we used to do it in the early 80s. And, um, you know, but without technology, obviously. <laughs> and uh, so that, you know, that being said, it, it made, um, you know, the songs... Uh, more cohesive as a band um, because everybody was uh, happy with every song at the final stage of it, you know, and um, and then of course the, the in the Queensryche fashion, you know, there's the depth that we put in. Obviously, you know, uh, we like uh, the impact the songs have, but that's also the depth, you know. For people who listen on headphones and things like that, they can listen to it over and over and catch different things in the yeah. songs. And and uh, just with the, the layering that we do, that's, uh, you know, not too overbearing, but just enough to kind of go, wow, did I, what was that? Did I miss that? I got to play that again. <laughs> yeah, there was a, a few things, and, and kind of being a stickler for production a little bit, uh, this is the second album that you guys did with Zeus. What made you want to go back to him after the first, the last record? Um, just because he's, you know, he's built a rapport with us and he, and he knows us, he knows our catalog. Um, and, uh, you know, and he's, he's port, you know, he's portable, right? He's available to go where we want. And that makes it great, uh, for us as well as for him. But he, he's the kind of guy that, you know, can take a bunch of, uh, demo songs and um, organize them and just, you know, make sense of everything. And then, um, you know, then we refine and, and figure what parts are the best. And, and he, he's kind of the end all, um, you know, once, once you hear things so many times, you know, there's a saying, you know, musicians always get married to their demos. <laughs> um, you know, I'm sure that happens in every band. Right. But yeah, he's, he's kind of the guy that is the, you know the fist on the table okay guys this has gone on long enough let's let's make a decision do you feel like working with someone that has such a wealth of knowledge 
of your back catalog and probably even the production side of it, like looking at your your all those past records, actually kind of helps him help you get yes. the best out of. Yeah. Okay. I mean, we'll we'll be writing in, in the guitar area. He goes, you know, you and Chris used to do this a lot on the warning. You know, this you know after end of a phrase, you do a lick and things like that, and it's like. I think this part could, you know, you know, could use that. So think that way. And, and, uh, <laughs> and you know, so he, he knows. And it's as far as like drums, bass, everything, vocals, phrasing. I mean, he, he's, you know, he's a pro, so he knows and he and he knows what's best for the song. Yeah, it's always great. You can always kind of he's one of those like producers, even like an Andy Sneeper, like a Michael Beinhorn or whatever. There's always like kind of a thing that makes his record stand out a little bit more. And I think is why a lot of bands go back to him repeatedly. And then it almost kind of becomes that thing where you just know it's going to like greatness is going to happen because there's just that rapport of like time after time, the, the results are proven. Yeah. I mean, well, obviously, you know, he's at a point in his career. I mean, his ears are just sharp right now. <laughs> and, and it's, uh, um, you know, he, he's definitely on his game right now. And so, I mean, we're talking about, uh, starting the next one a little sooner, you know, oh, okay. um, but we, we want to use them again. I mean, that's, that's something that, you know, a relationship has been built and it's proven. So why change it? You know, you, you it's kind of interesting. You, you've brought up a couple of times, the fact of things kind of, uh, changing since the eighties and so forth, when you guys were recording various records nowadays, it seems like the record industry is kind of going back to singles or EPs, as opposed to taking years to come out with a new record. Do you feel that maybe that's something you guys would start entertaining as kind of going more that route, or do you like doing more investing in time and putting out full records? Yeah, I think, again, I think we're old school, and we, we view the recording as an album. And uh, um, I'm, I know a lot of bands that do that now because it's, it's easier to, to put out a, a single right. or, a, or an EP or something. But I think, you know we just we just know how and we like recording albums <laughs> this might be a bit of a stupid question but it was something in listening to your records the last couple like the last week or so do you envision doing an operation mind crime 3 or is that more in the past due to lyrical concepts i you know no okay <laughs> um and again there's many reasons why not to do it um, you know, and obviously, you know how sequels are. Sequels in movies, you know, it's the the original is always the better. And we're really proud of of you know Operation Mindcrime, right? One, you know, we're really <laughs> proud of that. And you know, it's it's in a lot of uh, books, and it's a lot of people's favorite, uh, you know, conceptual album. So, you know, why? You know, it was just, I guess, why? because of there being a sequel that um, it kind of made me like, okay, like, is there like, why not make it a trilogy and just end it like as a third? You know, we have, you know, obviously there's there's ideas to do a, a thematic thread through an album, mm-hmm. um, but uh, you know the whole conceptual thing, I think you know, you're kind of whistling through the graveyard when you're trying to do that again. <laughs> um, kind of speaking to the new record and slowly kind of in wrapping up. You know, this last record was uh, fan-funded initially, and I've kind of felt a few different ways about it. Um, I feel like 
and I understand there's ongoing proceedings and so forth, so obviously we can't talk too much about it, but do you feel that maybe the bubble has burst on that as an idea now for the music industry? Because it seemed like that was a thing where a lot of people were trying to get out of you know, bad 360 deals and so forth, or just bad record recording contracts as a whole, and that was a way to just kind of keep it all self-contained. But do you feel like maybe now the bubble on that has burst and bands kind of have to, we have as the industry has to figure out what's the new thing? Right. I mean, obviously, you know, we've been scarred by what's happened. And, you know, if you ask us if we'll ever do that again, it's <laughs> probably no. <laughs> um, you know, for us, it's, it's, it's a great way to uh, uh, be in a community and offer specialty items and uh, the record company loves the idea of offering pre-sales of, of CDs and, and albums and um, but you know what if it's if it's not insured and it and uh, um, you know that can happen you know where all of a sudden the bank account is empty right for you know thousands of bands mm -hmm. We'll figure something else out. Maybe we'll bring back the old fan club and, and uh, do it old school ways and sell it all through a fan club. I don't know. It was kind of interesting because in thinking about that, I kind of wondered, even though obviously it's not on you, it's a platform that you went to that somebody else runs. Do you feel that it kind of made you guys look like the bad people in, involved in this? Or were fans actually pretty understanding of what was going on and understanding that it there is a secondary people that are behind all this and it's yeah not i mean our our fans are are completely supportive there's always a few that think you know well they should fulfill no matter <laughs> what you know they think we're like a walmart you right know? and it's like um you know so it's but yeah you know it's you don't want to divulge all the uh, the the financials and the uh, the legals right um to everybody because it's you know f to most people that's really boring and they don't care right, right. so but um, you know it's it's something that yes it's been tarnished it's just kind of a, a weird thing that I thought of that I don't think a lot of people have really taken the time to understand is it's not your fault and if everything could go the way it was supposed to people would be happy with all the, the ancillary items and so forth that yeah, they and, and we for. have you know uh, started fulfilling some of the items and a lot of people have gotten some of their items already and, and I've seen online that they've gotten refunds from Pledge as well but it's just going to take a long time Right. Uh, lastly uh, where can people find you and or the band online um, go to queensreich.com all our media sites are on there and we have, we have them all we have you know Facebook and Instagram and Twitter Twitter and all that stuff so um, and uh, you can get all all the uh, concerts latest uh, concerts that are happening and uh, uh, links to all our uh, like our merchandisings badass stuff you know you can you can get through the uh, fan club and um, any other general news on Queensryche so queensryche.com is is the place to go awesome well thank you very much for your time and looking forward to the show tonight Thank you, and thanks for supporting live music. So that was my brief conversation with Michael Wilton of Queensryche. Um, Dan couldn't be there because he wasn't going to drive three hours each way to go do a 15-minute conversation. So 
Uh, what did you think of that? Three though? hours, more like more like seven hours. Yeah, well, you know, it was six hours for me. Okay, divide. Where were you guys at again? We were in Chesterfield, which is uh, it's over there. All right. Well, we're gonna do this live on the on the podcast. I'm gonna Google Map it. Okay. <laughs> here we go. This is how we waste your people's time. Let's see here. Maps. And we're looking for Chesterfield. Chesterfield. You can cut this out if you want. Uh, I'm keeping it in. While Dan's looking that up. Chesterfield, Michigan? Yep. Okay. And I'm going to hit the directions button. MapQuest. No, it's not MapQuest. It's Google Maps. I know. It's it's 2019, bro. Okay. It's 2019. Do you even Google Maps? Eight hours, 53 minutes. All right. So my round trip. 583 miles. My round trip would have been just shy of being two hours less than yours. Oh man! But, well, uh, you know, actually, let's see. I'm going. I, I would go through Indiana, so I probably could have stopped and had lunch at Lauren Kislowski's house. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, he wouldn't acknowledge that you were there. He would have just opened. He would have just opened the door and then slammed it in my face. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but no, like it uh, it was a lot of fun. Um, it was a little bit. I will say this. Um, I got there. I was told my interview was going to be at four o'clock. So, and of note is a friend of mine was actually teching for uh, Fate's Warning, which is the opening band on this tour. Um, so I got there a little bit early because I figured I could hang out with my friend as much as I could because I haven't seen him in a couple of years. And I got there because I was told my interview was at 4. So I got to the venue at about 3.30. And then I was told, oh, well, the band's going to sound check at 4. <laughs> we'll do it afterwards. Sound check is an hour. So my interview got pushed back an hour. Then, uh, when the sound check was done, I saw Michael walk by me, and then the the manager was like, "Oh, uh, I'll look for Michael now." And I was like, "I think I just saw him walk by me." You know, not trying to be like I did, but I did see him. But uh, right. And he's like, "Oh, well, I guess when he gets back, we'll do it then." So then, some more time goes by, and then it was well, we have the meet and greet, the VIP meet and greet. <laughs> So right. my interview didn't happen until almost three hours after I, <laughs> I should have had it done. That's um, hilarious. Yeah, it was real funny. Um, all that aside, though, I was hanging out uh, in the, the bowling alley bar because I couldn't go into the venue yet and was around some Uber fans who were there for the meet and greet. And uh, it was interesting because I've not really ever done one of those meet and greet things. I don't know if you have you, Dan. No, I never have actually. Okay, so I take that back. I've done one. I did one. My dad paid extra money for us to meet Stained on the uh, Godsmack Stained uh, tour from 2012, um, and that was the biggest waste of my money I've ever. Not even my money, my dad's money. I felt really bad because it literally was about 30 of us. We got formed into a horseshoe. Okay, hold out your stuff. The guys are gonna come by. You can have two items signed, and then after that was all done, they spent about ten seconds with you, like, "Oh, how you doing? Sign your shit." And then, yeah. as soon as that was done, they turned around. Everyone gets a photo. They, you hand your cell phone to like a TM, take a photo. You're all done. Go back into the line to get back into the show. 
So yeah, get out of here. Yeah. yeah, pretty much. And it's like, okay, like I have no idea how much my dad spent on that. And, you know, I have the photo sitting right next to me. So I see it all at all times. And I look really not stoked. Uh, to I think I've shown Dan this before. I've been not stoked to uh, be there. And I'm standing next to Aaron Lewis. Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah. But uh, it's one of those things where that really soured me on meet and greets. And I'm sure there are other meet and greets where the people actually take the time. They maybe they, they actually cap it off so they can actually spend time with people and they they block off a part of their day so they can do a meet and greet. Like, you know, there are bands like Fozzie who do a, a mini concert uh, that's, that's also their sound check, but it's not just, you know, a sound check or whatever. Like, I saw – I've seen – Sorry, I gotta rephrase this so I don't. If a publicist listens, they don't shit get mad at me. I've seen bands literally do the sound check, and instead of having fun, like Fozzie's VIP looks like a lot of fun. Um, I've seen some VIP stuff getting to venues beforehand to do interviews or just being there early or whatever for various reasons, um, where it's exactly what a sound check looks like, and the band could give two shits less if someone's there or not. But it's like if yeah. people are paying money to see that, it's like put on a little bit of a performance you know yeah and so it was one of those things though being around some queens reich and fates warning fans uber fans um it it was kind of at times a bit embarrassing because you know like they're you know and you hear like Jossa tell these stories sometimes about like yeah you know like we're gonna do this vip but like don't bring a million things like you know you can bring like five things and, yeah. you know, there's a reason for it, but it's, like, the thing that gets kind of hard is, like, part of me is, like, I'm kind of bummed that, like, maybe I'm not that excited anymore, like, to to meet somebody because, like, I've, yeah. been, I've been doing this now for a couple of years. I have a lot of friends that tour, so, like, a lot of the mysticism is gone, and I understand, right. like, how really boring it is to <laughs> be in a touring band. Right. But adversely, it did kind of make me bum that i don't feel that way anymore like and then i was trying to think like who would i be so giddy to like meet like where i'd be like oh my fucking god i can't believe i'm gonna meet this person and i'm gonna ask them about this and i'm gonna do this and and all that and i don't really know that i i would do that anymore i think i think the fact that like doing this podcast has kind of taken some of that fanaticism away from me because i realize i should always be professional yeah always for sure um you don't want to turn into the Chris Farley show. <laughs> no, no, as amusing as that is, but uh, it was really cool too to see you know Queensrÿche and, and Fate's Warning you know interact with their fans and especially like you know they're they're such a multi generational band at this point and to see you know young kids who are younger than than you or I talk about you know how they grew up with their you know is their mom or their dad's music and and listening to you know maybe like Operation Mindcrime or Empire, you know, as a child and, you know, what it meant to them and, and all these kind of things. And it's it's really interesting because I don't feel like we have a lot of those multi-generational bands, really. I think Foo Fighters maybe are kind of one of the last big ones that span almost 30 years now. Yeah. Yeah, kind of, yeah. Yeah, I'm having trouble. <laughs> and it's like, you know, the sad thing is, is like, I think it kind of speaks more in volume about, you know, maybe we should really support a lot of these older bands because, you know, who knows how much longer they're going to be. I mean, Kiss is calling it a day, probably thankfully. Um, Hopefully. Yeah. Metallica, I think, is one of the last ones still kind of going around doing it. Iron Maiden. Yeah. Iron Maiden. I was going to say Slayer, but that's, that's off the table. 
Greta Von Fleet seems to be the next one. Yeah. Really? Well, I mean, when I went to the show, I was probably the youngest person there by 20 years. Interesting. But I, I was also there, that. so... I mean, again, it, it is multi-generational. They are a band of the generation before, younger than me. But I mm-hmm. appreciate it. And it appeals to people of a wider, older demographic who haven't heard music like that in a long time. So I think, really, they, they might be the the newest multi-generational band I can think of. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Well, I was reading a Rolling Stone article the other day uh, how they were saying that death metal is becoming the new uh, classic rock. And how, um, you know, a lot of the showgoers are older. They, they were reviewing, it was the Cannibal Corpse and Morbid Angel uh, okay. tour. And just so, showing, like, they couldn't believe, like, how much older the crowd was. And, A, how big the crowd was. Um, and they're just like, yeah, but these bands have, like, you know, tens of albums. And the fans are all there and they know all the words. And, you know, the average person thinks it's all noise or whatever. But, like... How long is it going to be before going to a Cannibal Corpse show is on par with going to see Slayer or, you know, on par with going to see, you know, some of these bigger bands? Um, So even, you know, a band like a band like a Queensryche is almost kind of an anomaly uh, in this day and age and that they've just kind of stayed on their side of the on the they stayed on their side of the fence and just continued to do what they do throughout. Well, I think you've definitely seen a bigger resurgence since Todd joined the band. Todd Latore, their vocalist now since Jeff Tate left the band, that they yeah. went back to that that sound that most of their fans enjoy. Um, so I think you you kind of have seen a resurgence of of their popularity for them. Um, I would make a comment about Jeff Tate because he's been in the news the last week or so uh, as of the time of recording, but. Pretty much like I did with this interview. There's no reason to bring it up. If uh, you haven't seen it and you want to, just Google his name and you'll see some yeah. of the stupid things he's been saying. But <laughs> Speaking of stupid things, um, I bought the Metallica beer because, you know, why not support a band that, you know, most of the people don't drink anymore by buying a beer? Yeah, Absolutely. <laughs> So I uh, have the Enter Night Pilsner, and boy, am I glad I did not buy a four-pack of this. Oh, no. It is no oh, good. Oh, no. It is no good. I, uh, it's like it's like Metallica from, like, 96 on. Nope. It's <laughs> uh, It tastes like Lars's snare tone from uh, St. Anger. Oh, my. Uh, I wish I had blackened taste buds so I wouldn't have to taste this. <laughs> oh, man. This is getting kind of brutal. Well, you know, this is what you come here for. So you right? mean you mean to tell me you you mean to tell me you wouldn't drink that if it was on your dyer's eve? No. Nope. If this is the one beer <laughs> <laughs> I would you had, to, I would you had to stretch Armstrong out for that one. No no no. I, I put the the emphasis on one just so you knew I was talking about the song. Not okay. literally not literally the number. Um yeah, this is just this is not good. This is this. I mean, it's a collaboration, so I mean, take that for what it's worth. Maybe this is one of those weird Kirk Hammett and uh, and uh, Rob Trejo collaborations that they do that you keep seeing pop up on the internet that are also not really good either. <laughs> oh man, this this tastes about as good as uh, Kirk Hammett's wah solos have become lately. Oh my goodness, I don't know how much more of this I could take. Uh... <laughs> this all stays in. It just sounds like uh, it just sounds like the shortest straw has been pulled for you on that beer. Oh god! 
You know, there. You know, it seems like whenever the band tries to do something cool, you know, like that movie that sucked, or uh, <laughs> you know, yeah. maybe, maybe they should just stick to being, you know, a washed up dad rock band that uh, only can rely on their past uh, twenty years ago hits. Ladies and gentlemen, John Beatty, keeping it brutal. No, I, I mean, Metall- I still have never seen Metallica. I, I don't know that I ever will. Um, I like all the songs well enough. I'm sure it's a good time. They, I mean, they can't constantly sell out arenas and, and be doing something wrong. Um, and I would even say that about Nickelback. I would probably go see a Nickelback show, completely. to be completely honest. Um, but as far as this beer, it's a Pilsner. And Pilsners are usually fairly drinkable. Um I think that's kind of why they exist. They're just kind of supposed to be a, a very easy drinking beer. And this just tastes bitter and shitty. Um, <laughs> the only thing I can think of, like, it kind of reminds me of drinking Rolling Rock. And, like, Rolling Rock sucks. Um, yeah. But I think, if I remember correctly, didn't the band drink a fuckload of roll? I mean, they drank a fuckload of everything back in the day. I mean, hence why there's still the A. Well, I guess that's the A for Metallica. But I was going to say the A from Alcoholica. But, uh yeah. But as I say, I think there's tons of photos of them drinking Rolling Rocks or Heinekens. That's more what this shit tastes like. It tastes like a fucking gross Heineken. There it is. Tastes like Mm. shitty Heineken. And I know there's plenty of photos of those guys drinking Heinekens. And Heineken is like the worst shitty skunk beer ever. Uh, I don't understand how people think it tastes good. It does not. And I would say Enter Night is what you probably should just throw this can of beer into. Uh, As soon as it gets darkness outside, just throw the beer. Uh, Someone else will drink it that probably needs it i don't know this is not a good beer don't buy it even if it's two dollars even if it's a dollar or someone pays you to drink it well maybe someone paid you know what dan posted a meme the other day of uh and maybe you've seen it of the various drinks and there's like money underneath it. it's like if you can drink all the the drinks that are under the money or above the money then you win that money if someone were to put a 20 dollar bill underneath this beer and it's like you get 20 bucks for drinking this i would do it then but I still would make horrible faces every time I drink it. But you know what? I'm going to drink this full fucking can because I paid for it, and fuck Metallica. I'm going to give you two pieces of advice for you and for the listener. Number one, do not throw this beer out the window, because if you throw it out the window, it's just going to get thrown back at you through the open window and hit you right in the face, then you're going to be upset. The other thing I'm going to tell you in reference to the Heineken comments, if you have to drink a beer that is ice cold... To where it tastes like nothing. But I'm like, gonna spoil it for you. I'm gonna spoil it for you. You don't like beer. You just drink ice water at that point. Whenever I see ice cold beer in in, in, in a light up, you know, in, in a sign in a bar or something, it's like it was like ice cold beer. I love my beer ice cold. Beer is not good ice cold. You make things ice cold because you're trying to disguise the taste of it, just like John's trying to disguise the taste of the beer he's drinking right now. That'll be the one thing I will enjoy about potentially posting the video aspect of this on the YouTube channel. So when people can literally, like, potentially you might think I'm full of shit and I'm drinking water. I am legitimately drinking this shitty Metallica beer and making horrible face. Oh, God, it's still in my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> it's in my mouth. Oh. You know, like, when you drink a beer and it just the flavor won't go away? Like, it's just encompassing my mouth. Um, but anyway... <laughs> This beer is no good, and and maybe I will post. I'll start with this one. Uh, I will post the video of me drinking this because it is so fucking. It's so bad. It is so bad. Anybody who says that this is good is a fucking liar. There you have it. Fuck all the plugs. Brutally speaking, podcast. See you next week. <laughs>
I've been Dan. <laughs> I've had better beer. Bye. Um, no. Uh, but in wrapping up, though, um, if you get to catch uh, Queensryche on this uh, upcoming tour, I mean, the record just dropped. Uh, it's pretty good. Um, I think, it, like I said, it's more of a return to the classic Queensryche sound. So if you were a fan of uh, Empire or a lot of, you know, basically anything from the very beginning of the band, you're definitely going to like this record. Um, sounds really good. Tolatory sounds great. The production on it sounds really good as well. And, uh, yeah, so if you would like to keep up with Queensryche, you can find them on Facebook at Queensryche Official, Instagram at Queensryche, and Twitter at Queensryche. And if you would like to keep up with Mike, you can find him at Mike underscore of underscore the underscore Reich on Instagram and Twitter at Mike of the Reich. And if you would like to keep up with just everything and find out all tour dates and anything else, go to QueensryicheOfficial.com and MichaelWilton.com. And if you would like to keep up with Metal Nexus, you can find them at MetalNexus.net, Facebook at Metal Nexus, Instagram at Metal.Nexus, and Twitter at Metal underscore Nexus. Dan, where can people find you? You can find me on the Facebooks under Daniel Terry. You can find me on Twitter at DiscussMetalDan. And you can also send me an email at DiscussMetalDan at gmail.com. You can also find everything about my other podcast, Discography Discussion, at DiscussMetal.com. And if uh, you would like to keep up with our show sponsor, The Bean Bastard, you can go to TheBeanBastard.com, get you some delicious coffee. I promise none of their coffee tastes as bad as this Metallica beer does. Um, hopefully, uh, I was in some, I was in talks with uh, Maruso over at The Bean Bastard uh, of trying to maybe help him get his October Roast, a typo negative-inspired blend, off the ground and uh but yeah you can find them on facebook and instagram at the bean bastard keep up with all things the podcast at bruce speak pod on instagram twitter and facebook <sighs> yeah and uh <laughs> <laughs> probably keeping that in and uh if you would like to email us you can email us at brutally speaking at gmail.com I feel like we're missing something else. Oh, eh, you know what? I forgot to ask you, Dan. What were you drinking? Because I just went on a tirade about how terrible this beer is. It's almost you know gone, what? by the way. You know what, dude? Don't even worry about it. Okay. Well, for the Brutally Speaking podcast, I am John. <laughs> and I am Dan. And we will talk to you guys next time, hopefully with better beer.